Welcome to LOA Today. Walt Thiessen and Life Coach Cindy Chavez here. Today is Tuesday, December the 5th, 2017. And this is, uh, Cindy, this is our first time doing a show together. So first of all, welcome to the program. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to have you. I mean, this is this is exciting, uh, in part because I get another co-host. I love having. Uh, th- th- this is something I didn't really expect. Having multiple co-hosts makes it even more fun. I didn't expect that <laughs> at all. I thought it was going to be more work, but it's actually just more fun, which is good. <laughs> so I get new people to talk to every day. And the other part of it is uh, from our conversation that we had when we first kind of interviewed each other. I was really excited about some of the perspectives you had because you bring some really interesting ones. So I won't tell anybody what those perspectives are. We'll let them discover them on their own. But I just <laughs> want to give everybody the heads up. You're going to like this. This is good. Awesome. <laughs> so anyway, um, as you know, we like to start off the show with wins every day, you know, things that have gone well, because this is our daily dose of happy for ourselves and for our listeners. And so we want to kind of get the show right off to a, a high start as quickly as possible. So do you have any wins, anything good that's happened in the last 24, 48 hours? I do. Well, I want to start with the podcast because that was a big win. Um Maybe not in the last 48 hours, but we're here today, so in the last one minute, right? Um, oh, that counts, about, absolutely. <laughs> about a, maybe three weeks ago, I had actually said out loud to somebody, I know I need to be podcasting. Really? I just wish that opportunity would open up. Oh, my goodness. And then I got this invitation. Wow. And so, yeah, so that was, like, awesome. And then the other fun thing was... Um, I don't know. I'm, most people, wherever they are in the country, I think at least the maybe eastern half of the country, are familiar with the Trader Joe's grocery stores. Sure. If you go there and you bring your own, you know, um, shopping bag, they give you a little ticket and you put your name on it. And when you leave, you stick it in this little birdhouse, and they do a drawing every I don't know how often every week, I guess, and it's for a ten dollar gift card. Well. We always bring our own bags, and we put that ticket in there, like, all the time, and we're always saying, we're going to win, we're going to win, <laughs> and lately we've been joking, like, every time they give us one, we go, yeah, well, it's been four years since you guys have been here, but we, and they all joke, and we all joke that, you know, we're going to win that $10, we're going to spend $10,000, but we are going to win the $10, <laughs> well, yesterday, there was a a voicemail and we hadn't even got out of bed we're in bed having coffee and and um push the button and it says hi this is so and so from trader joe's i just wanted to let you know that you won a ten dollar gift certificate and it was hysterical how much happiness that brought you know (laughs) 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 and as we were walking into the store last night i think um i think my spouse had forgotten all about it and i said I'll I'll go this way and you go redeem the card and he like got this big smile on his face and he I said you are walking a little taller all of a sudden it's <laughs> just like yeah so I was like boy oh boy if ten dollars can make us that happy right it's really not about the ten dollars absolutely about, yeah that that's right? fantastic that, that you that that you got that kind of a lift out of it I mean it's also great that you won the thing after four years I mean with right. that level of investment you ought to win something somewhere along the line. We, we because we were joking with the checkers, like, yeah, we don't think anybody wins. Nobody no, no, no. wins. <laughs> the lady that calls, it's her favorite part of her job, and she calls every week, and someone always wins. Yay. <laughs> so if you're out there, you know, and you put that thing in, just keep trying. It'll happen. Your day will come. 
Yes, this commercial announcement brought to you by Traders Joe's. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> well, that's great. That's a good win. I like that one. I have to say, my big win is also similar to your first win. My big win is that you're my new co-host. That's a, that's a win all by itself. And I think oh, people well, people are getting a sense of that because they can tell just from the story you told what kind of a win it is. This is good stuff. I love it. Because you tell a story well. That's one of the things I liked when I first talked to you. I could tell you, you can tell a story well. And you just did. And it came through really good. So thank you. I appreciate that. And let's see. What else is going well? A lot of things have been going well. Um, I mean, I'm doing a daily podcast twice a day. That's That seems to be a win every single day so far. I'll, I'll probably have to stop announcing that at some point, but I don't know when. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, keep talking about keep it. Keep talking about <laughs> it, right. <laughs> So I'll just go with that one for a bit because that's a good one. Um, it actually kind of fits in with uh, what our topic is for today. Um, I found an article on Entrepreneur Magazine, entrepreneur.com. Um, it's called The 20 Simple Ways to Hack Your Happiness According to Science. And it's literally a list of 20 different things you can do in order to get yourself into a happier state of mind. I figured, well, that fits in really nicely with what we're talking about because when you're trying to leverage the law of attraction and as they say get yourself into that higher vibration you want to do everything you can to get yourself happier so you need some tools you know and uh these seem like a, a good way to give ourselves sort of a, a tool chest how's that i think it's a great idea i actually when i sometimes coach people that that i get the sense that well, actually, I've done this with a lot of people, whether I feel like they're taking good care of themselves or not, um, to have a list of what I kind of call like self-care boot camp, like a list of things that I'm, my focus with this isn't happiness as much as just taking good care of yourself. That list for when you're in times where it, things get really stressful, you know, life has ebb and flow, right? And we all go through times where life can get stressful. And, you know, for me, it's really simple. It's like extra maybe meditation or eat enough protein or whatever. But when you have that list, because it's during those times and with happiness, during those times where you're struggling with happiness, um, it's good to have a list, like you said, a tool chest to remember, to go to and say, these are the things. Yeah, I think so. I agree. I think so. Um, now, I have to say, this article started off with, a, with one line that kind of made me go, huh? And I'll, I'll tell it to you. You tell me what you think. It, it just it, it almost seemed unnecessary, and I really don't understand why they included it, why the author included it. But it's in the first paragraph. So here's what the paragraph says. It says, happiness, anger, depression, anxiety, excitement. We've all experienced each of these emotions before. It's part of the human condition and how we're wired. Now, here's the weird part. But if we had the option to feel happy 24-7, most of us would probably choose it. Unfortunately, that's not exactly how it works, but what if we were to tell you there are certain things you can do to get your, get, to get you closer to feeling happy all the time? And I said to myself, why did they write that? Because, I mean, if you're somebody who's feeling anger, depression, or anxiety, you're not trying to feel happy 24-7. You're just trying to feel happy, period. <laughs> well, the last thing in your mind probably is, I want to be happy all the time, 24-7, for the rest of my life. Right. Like, right right now, I just feel miserable. I just want, want to stop feeling miserable. That's what's on your mind. So I, I just don't understand why they wrote it that way. But whatever, you know. That, I like that you say that. It reminds me of something someone told me one time, and that was that, you know, when you're really, really hungry, 
you feel like, you know, that expression, like, I could eat a cow. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But all you really need is a meal. Is a meal, yeah. And so, yeah, we're just we're just dealing with the present moment <laughs> at this point, especially when we're struggling. Maybe that's um, why they threw that in. Maybe that was their equivalent of "I could eat a cow." Yeah, uh, I guess maybe that doesn't really explain <laughs> it, but whatever. <laughs> so anyway, let's let's go through the list here. First one is actually my favorite, believe it or not. It's take a daily nature walk. It says, if you're feeling blue, just take a step outside. According to a recent study, taking a daily nature walk can help boost your happiness, and not only that, but your overall well-being and connectedness to others. And I would say that's Ooh. true. I would say yeah, that's true. Yeah, I like that. Do you, do you take walks on any kind of regular basis? I do take walks. I haven't been taking walks on a regular basis, so that was kind of like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, and I live... Um, I live in the city, but thankfully, I'm, I've got lots and lots of trees ah. uh, and, and the occasional squirrels and birds. So <laughs> I can still, I feel like I can still, you know, take a, I, it can still fall into the category of nature walk, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's stuff to see, clouds. Oh, yeah. Fly. <laughs> well, I, so, I, yeah, no, I agree. And I think it's just that it, it, it's the movement as well mm-hmm. of walking. You know, we don't have um, our lymph system is what cleans toxins out of our body. Right. And it, and our lymph system does not have a pump. The way our circulatory system has our heart to pump the blood through, our lymph system does not have a pump. It mo- it works on motion. So the motion of your arms swinging when you're walking uh, and the body moving, that rhythmic motion, that's what pumps the lymph system and helps us get rid of toxins. And so if everything is energy then the toxins we're getting rid of in our body may have to do with toxic thoughts as well as other things, right? Interesting. Okay. So, yes, yes, we say yes for the walk. I I didn't know that about um, the the lymph system kind of pushing things out through activity. I didn't realize when I was taking a walk every day that I was actually, you know, cleaning out the system. (laughs) That was not the way I looked at it, but that's interesting. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's really, really necessary. As a matter of fact, if you've ever seen those tiny um, uh, trampolines, the yeah. little ones, yeah, rebounders, that's what they call them, they say that if there's someone that's physically unable to jump on one, like they're in a wheelchair or they're you know, unable to really have movement, you can put their feet on the rebounder and someone else can bounce. And it's just that little bit of bouncing and vibration in their body that will help with their lymph system. So really? it's important on a whole bunch of levels, and it definitely will help you feel better. I think the breathing, I heard someone say, if you can own your breath, you know, That's, no yeah. one feel your peace, right? So out there breathing, walking, moving. Gosh, I want to go for a walk now. <laughs> That's Well, the breathing is part of uh, why I enjoy it so much. I also learned fairly early on, one of the reasons that I started doing the daily walks was at the time I was really very depressed and didn't realize it. And my wife, who is also a former psychotherapist, suggested I just get out and get out among nature. And so I said, okay, well, I went out among nature, now what? (laughs) And she says, no, 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 you have to go out and actually appreciate the nature. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, you know, go, to, to borrow from the cliche, go smell the flowers. You know, 
actually study the, the the flora and fauna look look at the look up close at the flower and look inside the flower and and appreciate the beauty and the color and so forth and then appreciate the the blue of the sky and the puffy white clouds and how sunny it is and it's nice and warm without being overly hot and you know enjoy all these different things and appreciate all of them and I, I thought she was crazy, but I tried it anyway, and it's now one of my favorite reasons to go out and take a walk. So it's a nice bonus to know that I'm also cleaning out my system, but that's not why I do it. <laughs> you know, it's interesting what you just said about your wife telling you to appreciate, you know, the color of the flowers and the white clouds and the blue sky. And because I have a little exercise that I sometimes do with people um, or ask them to do, when they're feeling like they need a lift, and that is to find something, and usually I go with a color, so look around and find a color that you enjoy. Maybe it's there on a pillow or your bedspread or wherever you are, you know, your wall, to look around and see that color and appreciate it, and then appreciate it 10% more. It's it's just a grounding and centering kind of exercise. But what you said about appreciating all the colors outside, it's the same exact thing. I I can also think of a way to make it easy to appreciate 10% more. Because if that feels like it's a little bit too much, you're not sure how to do it. Here's a little trick. When you're walking along, have your color ready that you're going to to go for. And just kind of keep it in the back of your mind. And then when when you're ready to kind of zoom it into action... Say to yourself, okay, I don't want to see yellow, and I guarantee you'll see yellow everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so it's a, a color walk. A color walk, yeah. And, and you say, I won't see it. Convince yourself you won't see it, and it, it, it just like explodes in your face. It's just amazing. <laughs> That's fantastic. You can actually do that with another person, too. You, you can kind of tease them and say, now, I don't want you to see any red in the room, and instantly they'll see red everywhere. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing it now. It's because of the way our brains are wired. You know, we we can say don't do it all we want to, but just by putting the word red in there or blue or whatever, that's enough. That just triggers the mind and instantly we just spot it. It it's like our it it's because of the way the um I can't think what it's called, but there's that piece of the brain at the the base of the brain at the brain stem. That particular yeah, the reticular activation. Reticular activation. Very good. Thank you very much. That's where all the filtering takes place. And and just by doing all that, we actually affect the filtering. So that's why we end up seeing all this stuff. But it's a neat phenomenon. That's that's all I think I think about it. It's very cool. It is. So anyway, number two. Don't sweat the small stuff. I think that's probably good advice. <laughs> it says, I think it's really good advice. And I think it's good that it's on the list. Yes. (laughs) Well, I say that because, you know, the the other half of that saying is it's all small stuff. That's true. Right? Don't sweat the small stuff. And you know what? It's all small stuff. And in the whole scheme of everything. And yet, when we're sweating it, we don't remember that. That it's all small. what What is that saying about... It's not the climb up the mountain. It's like the pebble in your shoe. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Sometimes the big stuff that comes at us in life, we we bow up and say, okay, we're going to have to deal with this. It's the little stuff. It's the small stuff that, like, makes us crazy sometimes. So we don't always remember that. It's It's a good thing to remember. It's a good thing to have as number two on the list. (laughs) It is. Well, it's also interesting that you made the analogy about the pebble in the shoe. 
because as a regular walker, you know, that does happen. You get stuff in your shoe. <laughs> and the thing that's really amazing to me is I'll stop, I'll take the shoe off, and I can't see the pebble because it's so darn small that it's not visible to the naked eye. I can only feel it with my foot. I have to reach it with my hand and feel around until I feel some little variation. Oh, that must have been it. Why did it feel like it was six inches? <laughs> they, so that's they, really funny because it, it follows up with the nature walk, right? Yeah, it follows <laughs> like, up with the nature. And by the way, when you're out there walking, it, it also shows how we make that. mountains out of molehills because it's, it's this little, little tiny grain of thing, and we're feeling like this, this big rock that's interfering with our ability to walk. It also is a great reminder that, well, you just remove the pebble and you feel better, so don't sweat it. Just get the pebble out. <laughs> right. Focus, focus. Focus, focus. Absolutely. Uh, in <laughs> fact, it also says one of the longest-running studies on happiness done through the Harvard Study of Adult Development Unit at Harvard University followed a group of 724 men of different backgrounds over the course of 80 years. And what oh, the study wow. discovered, yeah, what the study discovered is that the less people worried about small things, the happier they were. What a shock. And the study specifically found that as people aged, they tended to focus on what's most important to them and forget about minor things. So apparently we can actually learn over time not to sweat the small stuff and it actually improves our behavior. And we do this as just, just part of getting older well it, it actually sounds like it sounds like we sort of do that automatically then right right yeah that's what it, that's what sort they're of suggesting. like we we get um things that now in you know tech in technology things that are smart like they learn something mm-hmm. about like we, we have a thermostat in our home that's like when we first put it in it was learning it was learning what we liked by how we adjusted it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They say that when you play, like, video games, like the game Tetris, like your brain starts learning what works and what doesn't. And that's why as you keep playing it, you can play faster and faster because your brain is figuring out, don't do this, do this. But it's sort of below the conscious surface. Oh, yeah. In fact... Right? Um, so it sounds like what you're saying, they followed... 700 and something men for 724, 80 years. yeah, for 80 years, right. And so there's this natural learning curve of learning how to drop the small stuff and focus on whatever's more important. So if we know that, like you said, don't look at the color red. All of a sudden I noticed this red pencil in front of me. I have a red marker over here on my desk. <laughs> yep. Right? So if we know it, if we keep reminding ourselves, don't sweat the small stuff, it seems like that would help our learning curve go a little quicker. That plus our, our ongoing experience, the longer we live, the more experience with life we have, including the downs. And we begin to realize over time the downs really aren't as bad as they seem. It just becomes part Correct. of our learning, really, you know? Yeah. But you also mentioned Tetris. Are you familiar with Sean Aker? I don't know the name off the top of my head okay. right now. Sean Aker uh, was a student and grad student at Harvard University and worked with uh, some of the leading professors in the Department of Positive Psychology at Harvard. Um, he's well known for a TED Talk that he gave. It's about a 10, 12-minute TED Talk. Um, and if you want to look him up in TED Talk, TED.com, his last name is A-C-H-O-R, Sean Aker. Um, definitely worth watching, by the way, if for no other reason than it will make you happier. <laughs> this guy is funny as heck. But one of the things he mentions in his book, which is also called The Happiness Advantage, is that there is a Tetris effect. That's why I thought of this. 
The Tetris yes. effect is where you play Tetris all the time, and you play it so often that you find yourself playing Tetris with reality. So you know how you're trying to fit shapes together in Tetris? You find yourself looking at shapes in reality and say, okay, now how could I fit those together? <laughs> right, right. As a matter of fact, I had this discussion with somebody a week ago. So I, And that's that may be why I'm like, the name's a bit familiar, but I couldn't place like where. But mm-hmm. I have not seen the TED Talk, but I did read an article um, on that phenomenon that you're talking about. Oh, okay, yeah. He has written okay. quite a bit about it. It might have been by him. But I, I just thought it was funny because I'm not a Tetris player at all. And so when I'm reading about this, I'm thinking, that's just the most ridiculous thing I ever heard. <laughs> well, here's the thing that's funny is that I read in, I think it was in um, Tim Ferriss's book. Uh, there was, But it wasn't him. It was It's a book that's a compilation. And he was quoting someone else saying, and I can't remember who she was, um, but saying that if you play Tetris for 10 minutes before you go to bed before you go to sleep that the part of your brain that gets we call it over here the hamster wheel you know it's when you can't sleep at night and you're thinking about too many things too many thoughts maybe worrying about things but that kind of constant stream of that the part of your brain that plays tetris is not that part so it kind of shuts that down and the article said if you play tetris for 10 minutes uh you will sleep much better. So I'm teasing him constantly because he began playing Tetris 10 minutes before he was going to go to sleep. And I'm going, <laughs> it's been 30 minutes and you're stressing out over there about the score. He's like, oh, God, it's getting harder. And I'm like, I don't think this is... <laughs> I thought it said 10 minutes. But see, when you're someone who's really competitive, you have trouble turning it off before you've won the game. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we did the whole study on the Tetris phenomenon, and uh, it's very interesting. So I guess the 10 minutes only works if you're willing to stop playing even though you haven't finished it after 10 minutes. <laughs> That's what I keep saying. You know, it's like because you play until you can't play anymore, and it usually takes, you know, maybe 20 minutes. And I'm thinking, wow, you have to stop. That's really – that might be really tough. It, you know, and I could say, yeah, it's tough for you. It might be tough for me. I haven't tried it. So uh, <laughs> that's funny. funny that is funny. So anyway, number three on the list is – Cultivate close relationships. And that makes a lot of sense. It says the Harvard study of, of adult development also found that close relationships to family, spouses, and friends was a major mood booster. And they discovered the importance of developing positive relationships and tuning out negative ones. Well, I don't think I needed a Harvard study to tell me that. Close relationships do make a difference, provided I, I should, I think I need to put a proviso in here, provided that it's a healthy relationship. If it's an unhealthy relationship and you're close, it's probably not going to boost your mood all that much. <laughs> exactly. No, true. And also where it says, you know, positive positive relationships. In other words, you know, when you're with people that you want to be with. Yes. People you're having fun with. Um, totally agree with that. I mean, we are, as humans, we are small group primates. We are wired for connection. We do better in in groups, um, and so I mean that's how we're made. So of course we're going to function at a more optimal level if we're making those connections. In fact, now that I think about it, Sean Aker 
was the one who I heard from who said that he started citing a number of, of studies that showed that your social connectedness is your greatest predictor of happiness and success in life. Oh, wow. Yeah. Interestingly enough, if, if, if you're somebody who is um, success-driven because you work hard, that's only about a 10% predictor of happiness. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, say that again. If you're if you if you're a, a hard work, success driven person, in other words, you want to achieve success, okay. and you and you believe you have to do that through hard work, it's only a likelihood of ten percent that you'll actually be happy doing that. Oh, got it. Yeah, I totally. I, <laughs> I'm in agreement with that. My my motto is easy peasy. But the flip side isn't what you would think it is. It isn't that uh, you want to not work hard or whatever. It's that. Actually, happiness is a better predictor of success than the reverse. Yes, yes, agree. In fact, and also, it, you know, I'm wondering how that ties into the cultivating close relationships. You know, if oh, that's, probably if a that's lot. An indicator of happiness, and the, you know, working as hard as you can because people that work really hard often, you know, we can label them, but, you know, workaholics or whatever you want to call it, often their relationships suffer mm. because of it. Absolutely, yeah. And I think it is true that the degree to which you're socially connected is going to be a reinforcer of the happiness leads to success thing. Although the survey, I don't remember all the details of the survey, but from what little I remember... Um, not the survey, the, the study that was done that uh, Aker was referring to. The study was simply about individuals doing stuff and starting from a perspective of happiness before they try to do stuff. And so it didn't, really, it wasn't really measuring social connectedness at all. So I, mm -hmm. I guess perhaps that's maybe like the fly in the ointment. We aren't really sure how much it affected it, but it seems likely that the two are very tightly related. But it also seems likely that since you can since happiness directly influences success, if you as an individual who is not socially connected and have you know few friends and not ha a happy home life or whatever, if you can find some way to kind of isolate yourself and just work on your own happiness just for the sake of feeling happy and do this over time, I still think you're going to get the high, higher level of success and the higher likelihood of success just because the happiness does feed into the success. And, and the reason I say that is the study was finding that if, if it's somebody who tries to be successful in order to be happy, they're 10% likely. But if it's someone who starts off being happy and measure how often they were successful, it's 90% likely. That's, that's such an awesome metric. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it really is stark. Yeah. I mean, it, believe it or not, the likelihood of being successful by being happy first is higher than the likelihood of getting cancer from any of the different uh, cancer indicators they have by like twice over. <laughs> Goodness. Yeah. Well, it, so, makes, it makes sense, though, because if we go back to, you know, law of attraction, if we go back to everything is energy yeah. and that we're creating, you know, our future with our present. Yeah. If that's what we're looking for is happiness, you know, we're talking about the nature walk and appreciating. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people work hard a lot of the time. I mean, it's not always about money. Sometimes people have a goal they want to accomplish or they're working towards 
some great work that they're doing. I understand that as well. Sure. And yet a lot of times it's because we live in a culture, society, world where everything pretty much costs money. Uh, and so we think, well, if we can make enough money, then we can have these things that will bring us happiness. And it's so the other way around. <laughs> it really is. In fact, it really ma- is. You're making me skip ahead. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Okay, number four. I think we're on four. We are, but so I, 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 I'm going to skip ahead. I'm going to find that one because it directly um, addresses what you're talking about. Let me see if I can find it. There's 20 here, so you got to give me a second to find it. But let's see, where is it? Probably get back. Spend money. Oh yes, number ten. Spend money on experiences, not things. Mmm, nice. It says, while purchasing expensive designer items or the latest tech gadgets might bring you some short-lived happiness, if you really want to be happy, spend your money on experiences instead. One study discovered that people who spent their money on experiences like trips and classes rather than material items were happier and more satisfied with how they spent their money. The joy of memory and experiences is much stronger than the short thrill of buying nice stuff. I love that. I love it. It's and nice to know that a, a scientific study actually this reinforced probably it, too. Because, you know, <laughs> this might be just my brain because of the relationship work that I do, but when we're spending money, you said, like, trips and classes. Yeah. Both, like, things after my heart because I, I love travel and I love learning and taking classes. But my experience with those two things that you mentioned are not just really great memories, but that connection with other people is always there. Oh, yeah, that reinforces I mean, it, doesn't it? If you're it? traveling alone, you're meeting people on the plane, in the restaurant, on the tour, whatever. Right. If you're traveling with someone, then you've got that connection. So, And in classes with other people or with teachers or whatever, there's that connection too. So I think that kind of plays into it. I, I agree with you. In fact, my wife and I like to take day trips and so forth, and... Now that I think about it, when we're taking a day trip, like recently, we, we live in Connecticut. We recently went up to just north of Boston, Massachusetts, to what is known as the Cape Ann area, which is uh, Rockport and Salem and um, uh, Gloucester, Massachusetts. And Rockport in particular was just wonderful. My, my wife loved it. It had all these old uh, little shop type things, and they were all on the pier. So it was a perfect locale, and, and, and of course, she got to shop to her heart's desire. So you know, it was a good thing. But also... You know, like when we went to lunch or whatever, we were talking with vendors that we were talking to, and you know, we'd see people waiting in line to go to the restaurant or whatever, and just the little quick conversations just strike up in those situations, just lighten up the day even more than they than it was lightened before. So I know exactly what you mean that those those extra little social connections that happen, it's kind of spontaneously, serendipitously, are wonderful. Well, and it's funny, you know, because as you were talking, I'm thinking about what you're saying talking to vendors, and, and I love all those little connections, you know, and I'm thinking about what number three was, cultivating close relationships, and I thought about um, you had the conversation with, with Wendy, I think it was yesterday, where she talked about meeting someone on a trip, and they they didn't, they just connected, it wasn't a deep, close connection until like a year later, right. they stayed connected, and now they're like, the best of friends. Right, right? So exactly. We yeah. never know that this person that we had this little connection with somewhere further down the line turns into one of those really happiness-boosting close. That's true. I hadn't really thought of it that way, but that can happen. 
you, you never know when it's going to turn into something like that. That's a very good point. Yeah. So spend money on experiences rather than things. Note to self. <laughs> Note to self. That's a good one. It is a good one. So the next one on the list, like you said, was number four, um, which was pick quality relationships over quantity. And it Wait, says, say, well, okay, say that again. Pick quality relationships over quantity. Oh, quality over quantity. Okay. Right. So while having a lot of friends is a good thing, it's the value of these relationships that are even more important. Again, according to the Harvard study, it's not about the number of friends you have, but rather the quality of your close, close relationships that matters. And these types of relationships are great buffers to the, quote, slings and arrows of getting old. I don't think the slings and arrows are about getting old, but okay. <laughs> I think it's more like just dealing with everyday life. But hey, if that's the way they want to look at it, that's fine. <laughs> right. Let's say let's, it's there's enough to deal with in the here and now, yeah, right. right? So those quality relationships are going to help us today. <laughs> <laughs> this author does have a, an interesting take on things. <laughs> oh my. Okay, number five. Now this is what I, I I read this one. I said, well. You, you can't just go out and do this one on demand <laughs> because number five is get married. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's kind of funny, right? It's like that's funny to have on the list. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> I understand the the point that they're making. Apparently, then what we're what we're hearing is that at least this author or whatever study says that married people are happier? Right, yep. It says, while okay. you might not be ready yet, one study found that marriage is a major factor in making people happier in the long run. Having a spouse to rely provides comfort and compa companionship, which ultimately boosts your mood, which is true. In fact, I can also point at it from the reverse point of view because I, my, my wife and I married when we were in our 40s, so we kind of married late. And up until then, my relationships had been, I think I can honestly say they were disastrous. <laughs> they, none of them were any good. And so throughout my 30s, I was, it was always a struggle to find some ways to feel happy. And it's not surprising that even after we, we married, I was still dealing with un, undiagnosed depression, shall we call it? Because I had so much experience with it over the years. <laughs> well, and I think this is, you know, this is a really important point to make. And that is, you know, number five, get married. Yeah, well, you're saying, and I'm saying, both of us are in really happy place with that now, but yes. both of us sound like in the past have been not. And, I mean, I was married um, for over two decades in a in a marriage that wasn't happy. Mm. Yeah. And, and it was not boosting, that relationship was not boosting my happiness level. Which, by the way, and was my motivation motivation for not getting married early on, because I saw so many damaged <laughs> right, marriages, okay. and I said I don't want to be a part of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Well, and I mean, you know, the divorce rate is high, and so we know that there are plenty of people that grew up in homes where their the marriage that was modeled for them wasn't happy, and That's so. Right. You know, I can understand where a lot of people may go. Yeah, I don't, I don't want any of that. Like, I, I grew up in a home where my parents weren't happily married, so yeah, I can do without it. And yet, that's why it's so important to pay attention to, to our own happiness level, and to be willing to make the boundaries that keep us in a place of being happy, and to cultivate healthy relationships. Because 
a healthy relationship is the best thing ever. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, it, it is my healthy relationship is it's number one on my list of the best thing in life. So that's where we want everybody to be with their relationship. If that's where your marriage is, then, yeah, it, should, it can move to number one right before the nature walk. That's true. Yeah, that's true. It, <laughs> it, it shows how On the important. other hand... Yeah. Uh, you know, we can have a whole we can have a whole conversation sometime about relationships and law of attraction. <laughs> or maybe we can have 10 conversations about it. Well, well we it's certainly can't. I mean, Tom Wells and I had one tomorrow mor- or yesterday morning about relationships. The whole show was about relationships. So, yes, you, it can be done and in fact, we didn't cover one tenth of it, I don't think. So, absolutely. <laughs> but um the the thing that occurs to me is that when I'm thinking about this topic getting married, it isn't so much about the getting married. It's about building a positive relationship like you were talking about. And right. w- when you're when you're looking at building a positive relationship, the first thought that comes to my mind, and I, I just kind of heard it in my head as you were saying that, is what they talked about in the movie The Secret, in the book as well. In that movie and in that book, they talked about if you're trying to um, rebuild a, a relationship that's kind of fallen on hard times, so to speak, you want to spend as much time as you can focusing on what you appreciate about the other person instead of ranking on the stuff that's, that's driving you nuts. And if you can do that, if there's enough material actually to work with there, you can not only rebuild your own attitude, but your partner ends up picking it up too, um, kind of uh, vicariously. And uh, in, in that sense, the law of attraction comes in and, and helps rebuild your relationship with you. And really, when you're talking about that, that's actually how you build relationships in general that are healthy relationships. You do it by appreciating the other person and and feeding into them, giving them energy, and 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 you know turning it into a mutually productive, mutually supportive system. That that isn't that what the nature of a healthy relationship is. Right, and you know it's interesting. Well, my kind of definition of you know a great relationship is one where the other. You know, where, where you, both people think they're the ones that are getting the better end of the deal. Right? <laughs> uh, but, you know, number three on the list, cultivate close relationships. Mm-hmm. And if we look at three, four, and five, it's kind of like they, they're building up, you know, cultivate close relationships, quality over quantity, and then get married, right? So it's like, yeah. like you said, it's not really about get married, but it's about, that relationship that's really, really close and intimate, and it's a quality relationship. Yes. And it's something that's been cultivated. That's important to remember. Um, if we let the garden grow what it wants, it grows weeds. True. And Interesting so analogy. Any yep. garden that you see that's just, you know, your wife is a professional at this, right? So any any garden that you see that's amazing, it, it was cultivated. It took time. Oh, Someone yeah. took effort. Someone... You know, someone made sure that it turned out that way. It didn't just happen by accident most of the time, anyway. Right. So, I think it's like that with relationships. Um, it reminds me of, you know, I was born and raised in California, and then moved to the other side of the country. And all the plants that I loved, the the landscapers were like, "Yeah, no, <laughs> it's, like, it's not going to grow that here. It's not going to grow. Well, can I grow this? Well, what about this?" And, you know, I had certain flowers and things that I loved, and can I grow this here? And they would be like, yeah, you can grow it here, but it's going to be so much work. And yet, you know, what about the azaleas? Because they do great here. They're Mm -hmm. native plants or whatever, right? So 
sometimes it's really important to recognize what works for you, what what works in a relationship, and recognize that, like you said, the appreciation, that's all part of that cultivation. It is. Right, because um, if, you, if you're not appreciating you the good parts, then you're, you're trying to fit in your own idea of what the good part should be, and you're basically putting the wrong plant in the wrong zone. Well, it's people that, you know, and this happens a lot, um, where where one person will... I, I fall in love with potential, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, in other mm-hmm. words, they're like thinking they can change this person oh, yeah. into mm-hmm. who they really want to be with. <laughs> yeah, right. And that's trying to get that plant to grow that really wants to be in California. It does not want to be here, right? And it's like, no, just find the person that you appreciate and that they appreciate you and then cultivate that appreciation together. <laughs> Yeah, if you're having to do that much work that you're trying to turn somebody else into a different kind of person, you're definitely talking to the wrong person. I mean, exactly. that, that, that's just crazy. That, that, that's like, please make my life as miserable as possible so I can be happy. But if we can get ourselves get ourself out in nature and learn how to appreciate the colors of everything that we see and the smells and the crunchy leaves beneath our feet. Once we get that appreciation working and we learn how to not sweat the small stuff, then we can start cultivating close relationships and make sure that they're really high quality. Then we're getting closer to being ready to get married, I think. That's true. I mean, you kind of ran through those first five or six steps, but you're right. They, they do feed into each other. And and it, it certainly is a great way to start off with that nature walk because if you start there, you can really attract almost anything you want into your life, especially if it's relationships. It works great for relationships. So anyway, number six. Now, we touched on this one, didn't we? I thought we did this before. Maybe we didn't. Oh, no. Yeah, well, well we kind of did. Number six is travel. And it says, while the act of traveling itself is typically a happy one, Simply planning and anticipating a trip boosts a person's happiness levels, according to recent research. In fact, they've even coined a name for this. They call it pre-trip happiness. And so if oh, you're wow. feeling, yeah. So if you're feeling down, plan something fun to get your excitement levels back up. That's cool. I know. I would my... say that's true. You know, this past weekend, um, we went with some friends out on a boat um, and took a long trip down the river. And we went on Sunday, but we made the plan on Friday. So Saturday, we were buzzing around, planning what we were going to take in the picnic basket. And, and that's funny. I hadn't thought about it. But our, our mood was definitely boosted on Saturday, just getting ready for it, just talking about it and planning and deciding mm-hmm. what we were going to bring. And that was just a little day trip. I know it's a big thing for my wife. I mean, she, she if I were to read that to her, she, she'd say, well, yeah, of course, because that's what she always does in getting ready to travel or to go out for dinner or whatever it might be. It's anything that she can look forward to, she absolutely loves. In fact, we, we have like a little running joke in our relationship that uh, she's the one who, when we're having one meal, is planning the next one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I believe and, we've made that joke over here as well. Is that right? Okay. <laughs> and she's also the one who identifies where we've been by where we ate. She's the, she's the only person I've ever met who can tell me what I ate for dinner on the third day of our trip to Cape Cod three years ago. <laughs> that's great. Well, that's because 
It sounds like she appreciates that. She right? does in a big, big way. Yeah. Now, I have to say, she doesn't always remember all meals we have. She remembers the ones that are memorable, that are you know delicious, that were well prepared, they were flavorful. It's just a really great meal. But boy, is she good at remembering them. Whereas I, I have trouble remembering what I had last Tuesday, let alone three years ago. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I have trouble remembering sometimes the day before. Wait, what did we eat yesterday? I can't remember. Oh yeah. my goodness. So and, and then you know she'll pull this thing on me like like we're sitting at a meal and well what do we have for dinner and I'm thinking I'm enjoying you know the shepherd's pie I'm having right now I don't even want to think about dinner <laughs> <laughs> but she wants to talk about dinner so you know, okay so I don't know what do you want to have I think that's what she's waiting for like well, I don't know what do you want to have and that way I can kind of stir her mind to come up with what she wants to have for dinner but yeah I, I've. She has, for the longest time, always been thinking one meal ahead. It's a funny thing. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Number seven on the list. This is also one that we do, although I don't think we did it from the perspective of boosting happiness levels. But number seven is hire a maid and order takeout. Hire a maid, <laughs> order takeout. And order takeout. It says, That's right. It might sound lazy, but it's been proven that outsourcing some minor tasks like cleaning and grocery shopping are bound to boost happiness levels. And a recent study found that people who spent money to buy themselves time, such as by outsourcing disliked tasks, reported greater overall life satisfaction. Well, the life satisfaction well, I part, I can definitely, uh, um, I can second that one because we have somebody who comes in and, and cleans the apartment um, usually once a week, actually during the winter, about once every two weeks. And just my wife coming in and seeing that the house is there and, you know, we didn't have to, or more likely she didn't have to clean it, just puts a smile on her face. It's amazing. <laughs> well, and I like the concept of looking at those kind of things when we outsource small tasks as buying time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because, you know, it's like none of that work is particularly difficult, but, boy, it can really be a just a time suck. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just the time. And so buying time, I like that. I think, I think yes, I would say that those things uh, definitely could boost your happiness level. And the only thing I would change on this, it says hire a maid and order takeout. And certainly we do occasionally order takeout. But the bigger thing is order takeout or go out to dinner. Going right. out to dinner is huge on her list. She loves yeah. it. She she goes. She wants to go out to dinner a lot more than I do. I always go with her, of course, because I want to. That's one of my ways of feeding back to her. But I mean, she just thrives on it. She loves going out to dinner. She loves going to. We have like a list of five or six restaurants that we'll rotate around and going to, and she just loves it. I mean, her whole mood picks up just when we're going out the door to go go to dinner. So that's why I would add going out to a restaurant. Yeah, no, I, I would too. As a matter of fact, because we probably go out, we go out a lot, and we probably go out more than we do takeout. Yeah. Um, but takeout is good too. You know, sure. sometimes you don't want to sit in a restaurant, and it's like you also don't want to come home and stand in the kitchen any longer on those days when you've been out and either working hard or playing hard. And That's it's like, right. okay, mm -hmm. let's just get takeout. Yeah, yeah, I could see how that works. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, all but buying certainly... time, I really like. I really like that. Yeah, getting time back. Yeah, buying time. <laughs> and, and I think as our life is going on, we're looking for all kinds of ways to buy time. We, we want to increase the amount of time that we're buying, and we're still trying to figure that one out. I can't say I have a lot of answers, but we've got some of them. <laughs> yeah, we do. Yep. What's number eight? Number eight. 
Okay, this is where we have to check uh, to see what the age range of our listeners are because number eight is get romantic. <laughs> it says get romantic. Get romantic. Okay. It says research has found that having sex frequently has a direct positive effect on people's happiness levels. In fact, people who have sex once a week are found to be substantially happier than people who have sex once a month. However, it's not all about the sexual pleasure. In fact, it's the connection that you're making with your partner that truly affects happiness. So that paragraph. Where did I see this? Maybe New York Times. Um, it was in the past couple of months. But it said that that the happiness level, that the once a week was that that was the peak, and that people that had sex more frequently um, weren't any happier. Really? They may be the same. It didn't drop. Mm-hmm. But but that that's where it sort of reached. A peak happiness level. So it's the optimal level, shall we say. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Yeah. Very interesting. Number nine. Oh, this fits in perfectly with what you and I talked about before the show. Get the right amount of sleep. (laughs) Yes. Oh, my goodness. I have to say, I have never um, suffered with insomnia until the past year. And... Oh, I have such a better appreciation now for really good sleep because if I have three nights, I never have trouble falling asleep. Um, I fall asleep so fast. It's like light out, head on the pillow, gone. (laughs) But then sometimes a few hours later, I'll wake up. Mm -hmm. And if I have a few nights like that in a row, it's like my level of functioning just really drops. And then if I get a good night, one good night of sleep after that, I wake up and I feel like a miracle happened. I feel like a million bucks, like Mm. I could take on the world. I'm just ready to do anything. My brain starts creatively thinking about new projects, and it's amazing. And I always think, oh, my goodness, like sleep is a miracle. Um, So, oh, I'm totally on this one, understanding how it can not just boost happiness levels but just that the feeling of health and vitality and creativity and you know being able to sweat to not sweat the small stuff um just all kinds of good things happen when we're well rested and a lot of people are not well rested i always say as a coach if i have someone call me um and this doesn't happen often but it happens often enough that i have uh, this in my toolkit, this one question, and when someone calls me and they're like really having a meltdown, that's my first question is, are you sleeping? They always say no. <laughs> good question. Yeah, Very good. it's important. Yeah. Sleep deprivation is a form of torture. It is, really. I hadn't thought of it that way, but it really is. Um, in fact, the, the article says, while it's recommended that people get seven to nine hours of sleep every night, It turns out, the article says, that there's a sweet spot when it comes to getting the right amount of sleep to put you at your happiest. I think the sweet spot is probably just an average time, but I could be wrong. It says, a recent survey found that people who identified as, quote, perfectly happy, unquote, got seven hours and six minutes of sleep every night. And the only question I have is, who calculated the six minutes? Everybody listening is calculating their alarm. (laughs) If I fall asleep in the next four minutes, I need to set my alarm. So the the next minutes. 
the next new product is going to be a product that detects when you go to go to sleep and then wakes you up seven hours and six minutes later. <laughs> right. Well, you know, they have um, they have these sleep apps for your phone. Yep. Mm-hmm. And they work on uh, – they use the – I can't think of what it's called, but the, the sensor in your phone that senses movement. Oh, okay. So you put your phone on your bed. And they'll have you move around, and it's like your phone is testing whether it can tell that you're moving. And what it does is that you give it a range. So you'll say, I need to wake up um, before 8 o'clock. You know, I need to be awake by 8 o'clock, say. And it detects when you're in the very lightest sleep. And so that might be at 7.30, but it might be at 7.50. You know, it, it... measures all night your sleep cycles, how long they are. When you're in a deep sleep, you don't move. And then when you start rustling around, it's detecting that you're moving. And so it will learn your sleep pattern and wake you up when you're in that very lightest phase of sleep. And that way when you wake up, you're not waking up out of a, you know, a dead sleep where when you wake up you feel groggy and it's hard for you to wake up. I think I just saved myself the money on the app because that's how I wake myself up. <laughs> well, that's how I wake up too. Um, I wake, I sleep till I wake up. But I, when someone, ha- you know, people that have to use an alarm to wake up. No, um, I understand. But I, what I'm saying is, even if I know I have to wake up at a certain time, there, there's a piece of my subconscious mind that knows I have to be up by, you know, seven or whatever it is, and and even anticipates the alarm is going to go off at seven. And invariably, oh yeah, me invari- too. I very rarely have the I, well. I I very rarely set an alarm, but like today, I set an alarm because of course I didn't want to oversleep, and I still woke up, you know, before the alarm went off. But my point Even is not, it's not my normal time. Not only did I wake up early enough, but I my body wakes up and says, "Okay, open your eyes now." When I'm in the lightest sleep. I, I, yeah. I can I can literally feel it. I'm in light sleep now, and I can feel myself moving around, so I know I'm in light sleep. And so that's when I wake up. So that's why I'm saying I, I don't need the app for that. I think that's an awareness thing. Like, I think anybody could do that Probably. if they wanted to. Yeah, right? I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah, but most people or a lot of people don't. Um, or they don't get enough sleep. That's right. That's number nine. Get the right amount of sleep. Get the right when amount. When we're consistently... Uh, only sleeping, you know, trying to go on four hours of sleep a night or something, then we get to the place where it's very difficult to wake up on our own. But I think if we're well-rested that we can tell ourselves we need to be up at a certain time, and our body clock is really smart. So It, it is very smart, and I think probably that was one of the first things I learned to monitor and to kind of put to my own use, to my own advantage early on when I was exploring how the law of attraction works and trying to address and deal with this depression that I was experiencing that I didn't even know I was experiencing at first is that I I tapped into my own sleep schedule pretty quickly. And I I tapped into my own sleep behaviors pretty quickly. Um, I'm not saying that's going to be true for everybody, but that's the way it was for me. So I guess that's why I don't feel like I need the app. But, hey, if you need the app, it's there. That's good. I, I didn't know that they had invented that. Well, you know, it's it's all amount of focus and awareness, where we put our focus. I mean, that's that's one of the big keys with law of attraction. Sure. Right? Yeah, that's true. And it's kind of like that exercise where if you bring your attention to your right hand, 
and you keep your attention on your right hand until you can begin to feel something. might be a buzzing or a throbbing or a warmth or something. And what's interesting is that the first time you do that, it may take a while before you can actually feel it. But if you do that as a meditation exercise on a regular basis, very quickly, you know, within days, you'll bring your attention to your right hand and immediately be able to feel energy in your hand. Mm. So it's the same thing. Is mm-hmm. You told yourself, you know, I'm going to learn about my sleep cycle, and you learned it. I'm not sure if I did it consciously, though, because especially when I was back in that time frame, I did not have good sleep patterns. It's not like I had to get up early all the time because I was self-employed, so I, mm-hmm. I could pretty much get up when I wanted to. But I would. One of the biggest patterns I had for the longest time was I would have one night where I could hardly sleep at all, toss and turn all night long, and then the next night I'd sleep deeply, and the third night I would be somewhere in between, and then I'd start that cycle again. So it'd be one night of sleep deprived, one night of deep sleep, and one night of okay sleep. And that's not that's not. I mean, it's not a terrible cycle compared to some people who are sleep deprived all the time, but it's not right. ideal either, you know. So I think I just yeah. kind of fell into monitoring it just because well it's there you know it wasn't like i'm going to deliberately control and understand my sleep cycle no that wasn't it it was i'm just tired of being tired i just want to feel better (laughs) well that's how it usually starts right right. we get to a point where we want things to change yeah yeah i always ask the question you know have you suffered enough yes right (laughs) had enough because well until you have (laughs) things don't change that's right yeah, and and bottom can be different for every person. True. It, it can take a long time to bottom out, depending on how you know addicted you are to whatever the pattern is that you're doing. But it's that one, you know, it's it's the moment that you decide that okay, I've had enough of this. It's time. Whether it's a big thing or a little thing, it's like I'm ready for a shift, and that's when you're on the way. Well, we didn't get through all 20, but we got through half of them, which I think is we pretty did. good. I'm proud of us. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's actually pretty good progress. Maybe, maybe I'll bring them up with Wendy and we can finish the other half, or maybe you and I can do them tomorrow. I'm not sure which, but uh, <laughs> one, one way we'll finish up the rest of them. But uh, before we uh, say goodbye to everybody for the morning, why don't you let people know who might be interested in your coaching service, how can they get in touch with you? Oh, well, they can find me on the Internet. Um, my website is my name, Cindy Chavez. Dot com. It's C-I-N-D-I-E-C-H-A-V-E-Z, com. That's my home on, on the web, and you can uh, find me there, and I would love to hear from you. I have some good free stuff for you there, too. Come see me. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay. We also want to remind listeners who, uh, if you're a regular listener, you hear this every time, but we're going to remind you until you do it. And if you have done it, then thank you, and you know, just tell your friends to do it. We want you to subscribe. It's a free subscription to the podcast. Easiest way to do it is by visiting the website, LOAToday.net, clicking on any of the links. They're all over the place that say click here to subscribe. You can also do it through your iPhone by going to iTunes. Um, and on the iPhone, you can also use the built-in podcast software. It will also find us. Just do a search on LOA Today. And same thing on the Android. If you have an Android phone, you can go to Google Play. So lots of different ways to find us. And, Cindy, it's been great. I mean, I can't wait to have you back tomorrow. Oh, well, I'm looking forward to it, too. Thank you so much. Oh, glad to have you. And we hope that you'll all join us tomorrow as well here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.